Welcome to the Irishman, Englishman and Scotsman football podcast. Hello and welcome to the Irishman, Englishman and Scotsman football podcast. A smaller pool of podcasters today as Joe is unenviably trying to get back to Salzburg and JP's feeling a little under the weather. Still, show must go on, and so it's myself, Fino, and I'm joined by Kev. As we run through the, the latest goings-on in the Premier League, Kev, how are you getting on? It's a good job, I'm fine. We're going to have to be, we're gonna have to be a lot livelier than usual, I reckon, but yeah, <laughs> we'll get through it. <laughs> Definitely. Um, yeah, as you say, you know, life sometimes gets in the way, but football keeps happening. So, cracking on straight into the, the midweek game, um, Man City against Southampton on Wednesday. Maybe it's just as well that Joe isn't here to discuss this one, because... If I was him, I'd be fearing an almighty bounce back from Man City team that I thought were soundly beaten by Man United, to be honest. Um, Southampton, they got the three points that I think we all expected them to get. Um, I think they're probably one win away from safety, but I don't think that this game is going to be where they get those three points. No, no, I don't think so either. I think it was an interesting game against Man United, wasn't it? Because cause I think you're right, they were, they were soundly beaten. Of course, they had most of the possession. You know, they're always going to... Yeah, they never really looked like bringing it back, did they, after that really... You know, they made about as, as bad a start as you can. And then... Um, and yeah, for all the possession in the world, you know, it just didn't really look like they're going to score. And I think Man United were, were really good. You know, their defence, obviously, they've worked so hard at that defence. And um, and I suppose we ought to have a, a, you know, a word for Luke Shaw as well, who had like a really you know, a rotten couple of years, really, hasn't it? Yeah. But this season has really looked amazing. So, yeah, it's just a bit bit disappointing for Matty. But, you know, I suppose it's just uh, that run, we always said it's got to come to an end at some point, and it wasn't maybe that much of a surprise. I think I got swept up in the in the city hubris, um, and it seems like they did too, to be honest. They expected to walk in, do the business, go home, and look, one bad result doesn't make them a bad team, nor does it really mean anything in, in terms of their kind of inevitable saunter to the title. But it will rankle with them a little bit that, you know, even on their way to the title that, you know, Man United fans can still say, but we beat you. There's probably one other area which should just be a little bit worrying for Man City as well, is when you think about the Champions League. Because we all know the title's done. Uh, you know, I think everyone expects them to sweep all, you know, sweep sweep the rest. of the, It wouldn't be a surprise, at least, if they sweep the rest of the competition. But of course... The Champions League is the one where you sort of feel like they have to win, and and I and I bet that game would have been studied by the likes of Bayern Munich, you know, and I bet they'd be thinking, well, and if nothing else, even if not for tactics or anything like that, it's just going to prey on their minds, maybe just a little bit. But you know, we'll get on to Man City. The weekend slate of games start on on Friday night with Newcastle against Aston Villa, a huge game with with giant ramifications. I think um, I didn't see Newcastle's game on on Sunday. I was preoccupied with a game. Uh, north of the border on Sunday lunchtime, but but by all accounts a pretty poor match um, with chances for both sides to win it. I did see um, a chance that Joe Linton had in the first half. He made a poor decision to pass rather than shoot when he was through on goal, and I just feel that that sums up the kind of lack of confidence that Newcastle have running through that team without a, a Wilson or an Almiron there at the moment. Aston Villa is going to be an interesting one. That's a charitable way of putting it, that it's going to be an interesting one. I, I actually fear that it might not be. All right, one for the purists, as they used to say. <laughs> it's, it's awful for Newcastle at the moment, isn't it? Because they shouldn't really be in danger of going down when you consider that there are a couple of teams there 
you know, who who don't have much chance. And given that, what was it? You know, it's probably probably a good job. JP's not here, you know, because he'd be crying into his into his dinner, or it would certainly make his pain a lot worse. But but you know, it wasn't that long ago that we were saying, well, they got an outside chance of Europe, you know, and for them now to be seriously staring down some trouble, I think it's uh, well, it's must be, it's grim reading for Newcastle fans, isn't it? Moving on to the Saturday lunchtime kickoff, Leeds against Chelsea. Leeds will be licking their wounds, I think, after the West Ham game. You know, two disallowed goals and then to go 2-0 down into half time. You know, it's just really tough. But I suppose that is the kind of the downside, the negative aspect of such an enigmatic side such as Bielsa's. And yet again, the closest of offsides, which if Opta are tracking goals chopped off for, for offsides, I imagine that Leeds are way out in front. How do you see this one going? You know, I think Leeds have, have been drifting a little bit maybe, haven't they? You know, um, enigmatic is an interesting word for them because at the start of the season, that wouldn't have been the adjective that you would use, right? You would We would have been talking a lot more about the energy and about the invention and so on. Again, they're one of those sides who, who, who managed to pick out a win every now and then, which is why they're not actually in trouble. But that's, they've drifted really badly just in the last month or so. And I think I, you always sort of think they'll they'll raise their game, but look at look at Chelsea. You don't look like losing at all. And and you know I know they're persevering with Timo Werner, but um, but you know with Havertz now looking like he might be finding a bit of form, I I think this is you know this is a pretty much you know a way banker as it were. Yeah, I think with Chelsea, you know they're still unbeaten under Tuchel relatively routine win against Everton and I think it'd be hypocritical of me to say anything else than what I did with West Ham which is it's a must win three points you move on and you you try and you know forget about it as quickly as you've prepared for it Um, I think it's more out of hope than expectation from my side that something happens here to spoil spoil uh, Tuchel's immaculate record but if there was one team in the Premier League to be able to do so you would probably look at Leeds to spoil an upset yeah, maybe, you know, and and of course, we also, you know, he likes the challenge and he'll, he'll like the challenge of, of coming up against a manager who, or a coach really, you know, who is who is obviously putting a lot of thought into things. And and, and I think that might help them raise their game a little bit as well. But um, but I just, I, I think there's a mismatch here. I think, I think let's not forget, you know, Chelsea built on, you know, massive multi-million signings, obviously, you know, came in and and really did make a statement in the summer. And after, you know, taking what I'm sure wasn't an easy decision to change the manager, even though, you know, they have been quite ruthless in changing managers, but having taken that decision, they're obviously seeing that paying off absolutely handsomely at the moment. They made the decision when they had to. And I think you've got there a really good team. You've got, obviously, you've got a top-class manager, or at least you've got a very interesting manager, you know, someone who, like I say, puts a lot of thought into it. They look really set to me, and I think, you know, probably not top two, but I think Chelsea are looking really solid for for three or four. Moving on to Palace against West Brom, uh, the three o'clock UK kickoff on on Saturday. Roy versus Big Sam. If someone could record this for me, I'm pretty sure I could use it as white noise to go to sleep. I I don't really have much to say about it, to be honest. I think Palace just safe enough. A win here, I think, all but guarantees that they are safe and probably also, you know, nails West Brom's uh, fate. I know there's still 30 points to go, but I just can't see them winning six or seven to do to do the impossible. 
I've said this once or twice before, but I'm a, I'm, I'm a bit of a believer in the goal difference. You know, when you're sort of thinking, can someone drag themselves, you know, up from a, up from a terrible position into a slightly, you know, into, into a position where you can save yourself. And I just don't think you can, when you, when you look at those numbers, they've got this, you know, absolutely atrocious minus, I, I don't know what it is, minus a hundred or something <laughs> um, goal difference. And you can sort of say, you know, maybe it's, maybe they've been a bit unlucky, but I don't think they have, you know, uh, I think it's going to be really, really hard for them. Listen, I, I, you know, I agree with you completely. I, not, not much to say about this, I suppose, Palace, if I had to bet, but there you go. Speaking of goal difference and, you know, that, that insight into whether or not a team is trending upwards or downwards, you look at Burnley there in, in 15th, but with a pretty dodgy goal difference um, compared to, you know, Brighton and Fulham. They play Everton at, at, in the evening game on Saturday. Everton, I think, routinely beaten by, by Chelsea. Burnley against Arsenal gifted easily the best goal of the weekend when Granit Xhaka hammered the ball into Chris Wood's hip um, from about six yards out. It was bizarre. Burnley are still only four points off of Fulham um, and they do need to pick up points, I think, you know, pronto. But Everton, we've talked about Everton potentially being top four candidates. I just feel like they need to pick up the consistency. They've played some great football, but they've also had some really poor performances. And I feel like a win here and you move on, if you don't get three points here, I think Everton are looking at best for the Europa League. I think it'd it'd be really you know, a bit deflating, won't it, for Everton if they don't, if they're not really in the mix uh, until the end. We were waxing lyrical about Everton in the start of the season and then obviously they've had a, they've had a little bit of a, well, more than that, really. They had quite a big dip. And I think, to be honest, I suppose I better be careful in what I say here, they're only really where they are. They haven't been that good, is, is what I mean, right? So they've, I'm just looking at the table now. Sorry, just taking a second. So they've got 46 points from 27 games that really shouldn't be enough you know to be to have to have them absolutely gunning for a top four place and it's and it's not anymore right and Mm -hmm. one of the reasons for that is you've had Man United have been pretty solid you know they've really kept it together and you've got Chelsea who've suddenly got it back together and then you've got you know a couple of teams who are Leicester again they've been pretty solid the whole way but but look you know Tottenham had that big dip and that's why they're down there Liverpool we'll get on to later but Liverpool that is a extraordinary turnaround whichever way you know you put it and so really this is an opportunity and I think it'll be really sad for Everton now if they if they're not able um, to really push for it but I suppose what I'm getting inching around to saying is I don't think they will I think I think they're just going to be off and I think now that's that's a question for Ancelotti then because you sort of think, well, they had the investment. They've got a really good team. Are they going to be able to make this team that much better next year when presumably Liverpool, whatever happens, will will probably not misfire as badly as this over a sort of, you know, 10-game period. You know, you expect Tottenham to be, to be more consistent. You expect maybe Arsenal. And there's always a chance that there's going to be, you know, another West Ham next year or whatever. And suddenly you think, well, is this, is this you know, if this is going to be seven for Everton in the end, they're six now. Imagine they end up, you know, 10 points off the Champions League and in six or seventh. And yeah, just, you know, sort of just about holding on to Europa League. I don't know if, if Ancelotti's going to stay motivated that for that much longer, you know. You just wonder what difference, you know, fans would make a packed out Goodison Park on the way to, you know, your last 10 games um, going for top four. The same with the London Stadium. 
And the same with uh, with Leicester fans as well. You know, that that idea of just making and breaking that top four, um, you know, monopoly in some ways uh, is, is something that fans have been screaming out for for years. And, and to come up just short, which I do agree with you, I think Everton will just come up short with i think uh you know fans are fans are going to be gutted about it it's just like i say it's a weird season they just don't look like they're sort of swaggering into that champions you know champions league fall like that might be all right they're doing just enough and don't get me wrong i think in this game if we're just talking about this game i actually think they will come back mm-hmm. you know i think they will win this game because like you say that's not a great burnley side either and you know i think i think it may be not again not one of the world's greatest games uh, in store for us in this one but I think you know uh, a sneaky a sneaky home win yeah I agree moving on to the Saturday evening game or the late game sorry I should say on Saturday Fulham who you know I think sprung a surprise against Liverpool in some ways against Man City they did it against Liverpool why not Man City do you think it was a case of Liverpool being bad and that's why Fulham got the points? Or was it actually a Fulham side that was quite good that contributed to Scott Parker's side winning? Yeah, I think it, I think I think they are pretty good. Let's not get quite into Liverpool now. But um but like I've said before, you know, without Virgil van Dijk and without obviously, you know, whatever, a few other players and, and obviously shorn of confidence. But I think that you know the crucial thing is this is not the Liverpool of last year or the season before. This is the Liverpool of, you know, Klopp's first season or Klopp's first season and a half. Take your pick from the last sort of 20, 20 years or something like that, where they are vulnerable, more than vulnerable, um, to, to sides that just are really solid and sort of keep their shape and, and can keep the ball. And, and Fulham were fine, you know, against Liverpool. Short, you know, without confidence, like I say, they didn't really have to do too much. Um, obviously, you know, they gave up a few chances, but not that many. You know, they were just happy to, you know, happy to give up enough of the ball. Um, and especially, you know, once they'd gone ahead, you know, I think every Liverpool fan, you know, feared more than feared, you know, almost expected what would happen. So I think all credit to them. I think they did, they did really well. They took advantage of a, like I say, not quite a unique situation, but maybe, you know, more or less unique situation where Liverpool are there for the taking and they went ahead and took them. So, you know, you say, um, you know, they did it against Liverpool, so why not Man City? Well, go on. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're right, because Man City have just lost. So, yeah, maybe. Why not? Get your money on. Yeah, I mean, I, w- I would love nothing more than to see Scott Parker um, take that Fulham side and, and save them from relegation, because I think he is one of uh, the Premier League era's you know, great unsung heroes, obviously coming from a West Ham fan. Sunday and the early game um, the the Joe Derby as I have described it um, Southampton play Brighton I think I fancy Brighton here though you know they'll be gutted to have lost to Leicester late on to take nothing from that game and in a game in which I thought they played some nice stuff um, it was great to see Lalana in amongst the goals I think for the first time in in 18 months or so Southampton I feel like they're just trundling along they're not really doing much you know, in the way they're they're getting by, they're scraping by, and I just feel like when you're when you're in a a dogfight for relegation, that extra you know that extra pressure does create diamonds. Whereas you know Southampton have just been kind of walking along to a lowly league finish without really being that much in trouble of being relegated. So yeah, I think it feels like a a banana skin for Saints. 
Yeah, uh, you might you might you might be right there. Both teams are, are not in tremendous form, put it that way. Obviously, Southampton came back and got that you know win they desperately needed. Brighton have now lost three on the spin, five without a win after having been in like quite a nice little run. I I don't know. Uh, yes, go on then. I'm going to say Brighton as well, just because again, that's three. That's two games in four days for Southampton who might not, you know, who might just feel the effects of that. I know they've had a lot of players injured. I was sort of hoping Joe might, you know, miraculously be back by now and he would dial in and be able to give us all the, you know, gave us all the actual local knowledge. I I do feel bad about the fact that we don't have all that much inside info, uh, you know, on either of these teams. So we're only speculating, really. But listen, it's a nice Sunday lunch. It'd be one of those games you enjoy, right, I reckon. If we were lucky enough to be able to go to the pub and we're a long way from this, in Austria, I don't know how you are in Scotland there. If this, if there's light at the end of the tunnel, but we are absolutely miles away uh, in Austria. But you know, I, that this is the sort of game I would really love. Go to the pub, I'd have my uh, lime and soda uh, just in <laughs> case the wife's listening at lunchtime, and I would, uh, you know, I'd, honestly, I think this would be one of those games that you'd really enjoy. And like you say, you know, l- love a bit of love a bit of Lalana. It would be nice, that wouldn't it? But yeah, it's, it's a bit of a shame we can't watch it. Moving on to to Leicester against Sheffield United, I know the result that I want here, but I know I'm not going to get it. You know, Brendan Rodgers aside, and we've talked about him, you know, throughout this season, one of the best in the league and, and in the top four, absolutely on merit. That's to say, even if they did leave it a little bit late to beat Brighton, but, you know, that's still the sign of a team that's high on confidence, high in belief that they are able to come back from, from a deficit and, and win games. There's not really much else to say, I don't think. I think Leicester are going to take three points here. guess so, yeah. They've been in that sort of run, like you say, where they've been picking up points without maybe playing with all that much. You know, I suppose it was only in the Liverpool game, wasn't it, where they had like a really good 20 minutes at the end and they sort of looked really good. But actually, most of their, most of their, they've been sort of like, yeah, clawing out a lot of results lately. And um, yeah, I think, like you say, they're, they're, they're well worth it. I think they're, um, I think they're of, you know, they're absolutely uh, as good as anyone else outside Man City on their day. Uh, sorry, yeah, outside Man City on the day. So this, this, this should be no problem at all because surely now Sheffield United have to accept that it's just not going to happen. It feels like everything is falling into place for this Leicester team, and and to be fair to them, you know, good luck, and it will be interesting to see a relatively new team in the Champions League, their second time in what the last last six seasons. There's a lot to like about them, you know, and there has been there has been for a while. There's a lot to like about Brendan Rodgers as a coach. There isn't as much, I suppose, what I'm coming around to saying again and again is there's not as much competition for those Champions League places as there should be. Do you know what I mean? And I think um, and I think they'll be just about all right. But I'm with you, like you said the other week. If um, if it really was tight, and if it does get tight, of course they're going to be thinking, oh God, maybe it's going to be uh, maybe it's going to be same again. I think at the moment. Yeah, that there's just them and them and a couple of others are just like a little bit lucky, I think, in that in that there's less competition than you'd expect. And we shouldn't forget though that Leicester do have a horror running. They play United in the FA Cup, they also play them in the league, they play Man City, West Ham, Chelsea. So you know there's a lot of teams there that are vying for those European places. Speaking of Tottenham, the classic Super Sunday Premier League 430 kickoff on a on a Sunday, North London Derby, Arsenal versus Tottenham at the Emirates. Last week, I took the piss a little bit by saying that Arsenal were a mid-table side and that 
that any other mid-table team, we would be back in Arsenal all the way. And they still somehow contrived to screw up uh, their performance against Burnley. This is a massive week for Arsenal's season. And maybe even Arteta's future, I think. You know, you've got the the Olympiacos first leg on Thursday. And then you've got Spurs on Sunday. And North London derbies are, are always big games. But this could see Spurs 10 points clear of Arsenal. And surely even the the most ardent of Gunnar would be conceding that a couple of bad results on top of that will start heaping the pressure back on Arteta at a time when he seemed to be to be going okay. Yeah, and um, it was earlier in the season, wasn't it? They suffered a fairly comprehensive win, you know, in the return of this fixture. And when you're in a situation like that as a manager, you have to be able to show some progress. And I think if it's a draw... Or even if it's uh, you know if they're very very unlucky, maybe if it's you know if they go down to a defeat and it's a and it's a and it's a late winner or or if they're behind and then they mount a really fierce fight back, maybe there'll be something. But I think if they go down again two or three nil, I think it might. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it might be hard for them. And and unfortunately for them, it just does look like Tottenham have played themselves into some form where you think again like a two. You wouldn't be surprised, would you, if this was a two nil or a three nil. And I think the the routine win against Palace, they went through the gears when they needed to. This just feels like the kind of game that Mourinho smells blood and will go for the jugular. And um, and you just wonder whether or not he will. He got so much stick earlier on in the season for for reining in the team and having them so defensive. You just wonder whether or not he's going to go out and let them play and really you know lay a marker down. I think it'd be hilarious, wouldn't it? I mean, we were all. Again, you know, this season's been so weird because we were all, you, I think you especially, but quite rightly, you know, very complimentary about Tottenham and talking up their chances. And then, of course, like I say, they had that, that desperate run. But wouldn't it be weird, you know, if, if they'd sort of timed the season right? You know, again, a quote I go back to, you know, I've been back to once or twice over the season is what Klopp said at the start. You can't prepare for this season. Like no one knows what this season is going to be like. It's going to be the weirdest season ever. You know, there was the strangest break in the middle of last season, the, the weird summer break. You know, no one really knew what was going to happen in terms of keeping players fit and with no crowds there and so on. Tottenham have got, Tottenham have got a game in hand over most, sorry, not most, a, a few of the sides above them, right? They, they really could be absolutely right back in it. And maybe it is, you know, over these last 10 games, we don't know. I always say this, the, the, the amount of things we don't know about what goes on at a football club, you know, is, is astonishing. I mean, let's, let's just, you know, confess, you know, I even think with pundits who've been out of the game, even for five years, must struggle to really know what it's like, especially if they were not managers themselves. I, I think they must really struggle to know what it's like running a football club now and what goes into the decision-making process. But us, of course, you know, we're just here as a laugh, you know, because we're fans. But, um, we, you know, none of us know. And, and maybe Mourinho is going to turn out to be the smartest guy again, you know, amongst everyone. And from being written off, honestly, 10 games to go, well, 11 games for though and there, but they have got plenty of runway to make up that. And if he has managed to, to, to take care of some of those players, if he's got bail back in the sort of form that we know Bale is capable of. If Kane, you know, is back, we were talking, you know, earlier on about how much they miss him. Absolutely. If they, if, the, if he's got his basically first choice forward line, if he's got players like Lucas Moura and so on, you know, in some kind of form, um, 
for the running, and if they've got a 10-game stretch of him basically able to play his best team, I think that would be pretty funny if they ended up coming from the back and getting sort of second and third at the end, which still no one really expects, you know, because they do have some ground to meet up. But, wow, I suppose we should just look at it from the other side as well. It is a derby. You know, anything could happen. Maybe this is where their form goes, goes tits up, but we'll see. Yeah, I think, you know, the fans will definitely be looking at if they can make top four at the expense of a Chelsea or a West Ham, you know, that gives bragging rights to to the Spurs fans, no doubt. You can never count out an Arsenal team, but I feel like more and more, you, you have to hope that Arteta can stop the rot at some point and whether or not he'll be given the funding to do so, we just don't know. I mean, would you? That, that's part of the problem, isn't it? Are you sure enough, you know, in a manager like that to give him the backing, to spend the sort of money... But you just have to keep spending. Um, you know, I think we're in this situation now where if you don't, unless you've got some miraculous kind of seam of amazing youth players or something like that, we've seen, you know, the consequences of not investing. And we'll get onto that in a minute. The next game, uh, Man United against West Ham at Old Trafford. Top of the table clash, so to speak. West Ham have to hope, though, that, that Thursday, sorry, saps some of the energy out of the United players' legs. You know, going up against an AC Milan team that, that are relatively in form. No Jesse Lingard for West Ham as the terms of his loan agreement, you know, prohibit it. Means that they lose that driving force in the midfield. To be honest, a point here is a very good result for West Ham. Three points will have every Hammers fan dreaming of what could be. I think Man United are going to be a bit too difficult to beat. So I think, yeah, maybe a point. But I think, Manny, I think this will be a hard one, you know, for West Ham. And I think, you know, we do have to praise Man United for that job really well done against Man City. And I think what a platform it is for them now, again, to sort of shrug off, you know, a few of the, the worries that they've had lately. They looked, sorry to come back to, they looked so solid in defence, you know. Honestly, you know, to me, it looked like they could have played for a long time and still looked pretty comfortable. And I think, uh, yeah, you know, may, maybe a nil-nil for West Ham, but I, but I actually think Man United would probably just be a bit too strong. And we've, we've spoken about him earlier in the podcast, but another shout-out for him, we've talked about him a couple of times, is Luke Shaw. You know, a great piece of wing play for his goal at the weekend. He, he clearly saw that Cancelo was bombing forward to press him. He drove past him with ease got himself in the box, wrong-footed Ederson. I wonder if we can just see this redemption story start to kind of come full circle because I could really easily see him in a starting spot in the Euros in the summer alongside Harry Maguire. And then you've got Marcus Rashford in front of him. That's a very strong axis on the left-hand side um, for, for an England perspective. Yeah, I, I, I've, I've seen him a lot, Luke Shaw, maybe without really watching him, you know. I think, um, I don't know if it's been all season or if it's been, you know, after the first five or six games, but I know like I've seen, you know, I've seen him talked about a lot as being back in form and this was very eye-catching, wasn't it? But apparently, you know, his form has been like this for really quite a long time, mm -hmm. you know, so I, I think you're right. I think he will get a recall. I can't remember the last time he played for England, actually. It must be, it must be a couple of years because he, he has been through... He's been through a bit of purgatory, wasn't it? He? he was accused of being overweight a little bit. I remember at one, yeah. you know, stage he couldn't couldn't get in the side. Uh, they paid quite a lot of money for him, if I remember, and it looked like being one of those, one of those, you know, just transfers gone wrong. But 
I love the, that kind of story, yeah, where a player just shows enough strength of character to just work their way through it. I think it'd be a lovely story if he comes through, yeah. And uh, listen, I, I can't, you know, I can't pretend that I've, like I say, that I've been watching him week in, week out, really concentrating on Luke Shaw, but but on the on the basis of that, you know, fair, fair play to him because that was that was class, wasn't it? Thirty million pounds is is what Man United paid for him, and yet just another example of the the conveyor belt that Southampton's youth academy seem to consistently pump out great, you know, great quality players. I do want to talk a bit about West Ham though, because naturally, West Ham fan, this is the third most points that West Ham have ever had after twenty eight games or twenty seven games. Sorry behind the teams of the early 80s. So you're talking a team that was chosen by a lot of people, us included, to go down this season. It's it's a remarkable turnaround from a club that, you know, just 12, 18 months ago looked destined for the championship. It's really funny as well, isn't it? Do you remember right, right back at the start of the season, Correct me if I'm wrong. They they lost the first two games, didn't they? Mm-hmm. And then uh, and then came you came roaring back and scored a hatful of goals. Can't remember how many, but um, I remember it was lost the first two, won the uh, won the next two. That's all I remember. But there were tons of goals and all that, and the, and it was kind of sort of mirrored. The mirror image was Crystal Palace because Crystal Palace won their first two games, and then um, and then lost the next two. And we were. You know, we were all like very surprised about that. And I'm sure we tried to justify everything and talked about how bad West Ham were, I'm sure. I suppose what I'm trying to say is, imagine if they'd won those first two games of the season. Yeah, imagine if they hadn't lost that, where they'd be now. And I don't know what it was, or if it was just like a slow start, if they were just a bit rusty, or if there was something, you know, if there was a, if they were waiting for a place to come back in, you probably know, I'm sure you know better than me. But it's just funny, isn't it? Because at the start, you know, we're all going, ah, yeah, West Ham, they've got no chance. But Palace are interesting. And now look what idiots, or certainly if I said that, then I don't mind looking into it. I am an idiot. No, uh, we we lost our first game to Newcastle two 0 um, and then we lost to lost to Arsenal, and I think the turning point was that third game because we we hammered Wolves. I think it was four nil. We absolutely battered them from pillar to post. Then we played, I think it was Leicester, and then around that time we would have also had the 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 London derby with Tottenham, where we went three nil down after fifteen minutes and came back to draw draw three three. I didn't expect a West Ham team to have such belief. And and credit to David Moyes. I know that he's he's come in for a lot of stick um over the last few seasons. Firstly with, you know, the Man United debacle and then obviously with, with West Ham fans not really taking to him. But he's he's turned it around. Um there are rumors that Celtic want him and that he's going to rebuff him uh, rebuff his boyhood team to to stay with West Ham. And I think that just shows that he's he's bought into the to the vision as well. And fingers crossed the owners are and that they will furnish him with some money in the summer because, you know, Joe alluded to it last week. If they do get European football, West Ham need to revamp that squad by quite some margin. Now, the last game of the week. We've not talked about them much at all this podcast. Wolves at home to Liverpool. Do you tear up this season, Kev? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the season's gone. I think, like, I, I was joking about it the other week, but I'm only glad that we can't be relegated, you know. I just think uh, the sooner this season's done and dusted, the uh, the better. I don't think there's anything much to be clawed back from this season now. Um, you know, for all the reasons highlighted over the past few weeks, you know, the striker's been completely out of form, a lack of confidence, of course, whatever it was, centre-back pairing, number, number 21, 
But again, you know, the substitutions that we've referred to once or twice, you know, it's really, you know, Klopp doesn't seem to be doing himself any favours. Sounds like he's had, um, you know, uh, personally a tough time. I, I don't know what to say, really. You know, it's just, he always said, you know, remember he talked about mentality monsters. It always seemed like they were overachieving a little bit, you know. And, and I don't think you can underestimate. I was thinking about this today. Look at Man City now and how amazing they are. And I think, you know, I think any other, not any other team, but I think Liverpool deserves such a lot of credit for not giving up two seasons ago and then, you know, just losing the league and then coming back and putting together that run last year, you know, 26 wins. Liverpool were never as quite as good as that, right? They were never a tw win 26 in 27 team. They're not that good. You don't look at them and think, you know, obviously not now, but sorry, I mean, last season, you didn't look at them last season and think, oh my God, you know, ah, oh, that is the greatest football team ever assembled. Of course not. And you, and you, you know, you disassemble that team and you think, well, okay, decent goalkeeper, brilliant centre-half when Van Dijk's there. And then, you know, Salah maybe and Mane and we were talking about, but otherwise, you know, look at, look at JP with him, you know, talking about how bad he thinks uh, Jordan Henderson is, you know. It was always a team that you sort of thought, well, not quite sure how they managed that. So it obviously was something to do with, uh, you know, uh, confidence or a mixture of whatever, you know, magical things they were doing as a club, managing to somehow, you know, develop this spirit where you just were going to not just not be beaten, but just to win every game. And clearly that's disappeared, right? We don't know why it's disappeared, but it's just gone. And now they look so fragile that its decision-making looks awful, right? They still can still play football, but they're just making terrible decisions every time they're on the ball. And yeah, sooner the season's over, the better. <laughs> You're right. The decision-making does look awful. And it's as if everyone from top to bottom in the club is currently second-guessing what they do. And, you know, everyone is a professional footballer or a professional football coach. It's bizarre to see, you know, such a highly respected team as Liverpool were as European champions, as Premier League champions, as deserved champions of both of those titles, kind of just shrivel within itself and become a shell of what they had shown themselves to be. Now, we'd be remiss to not talk about the 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 German elephant in the room, so to speak, which is that, um, you know, the German coach is going to leave after the Euros. And now Klopp has already come out and said that he's not going and he has a contract for three years. Does that mean that he will stay in Liverpool for the duration of his contract from his perspective? And does that then mean that the leadership, let's say in 18 months time, you've had another season like this and then you're at Christmas and you're still not having any better of a season do the leadership of Liverpool then need to make a decision? And how difficult is that a decision to make, given the 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 fact that Klopp has delivered such a, a wanted title um, that Liverpool fans have been chasing for so long? Yeah, I mean, well, it's really hard to say, isn't it? And it's, look, I, I've been critical of the, of the club for not spending money when they needed to spend money. Or not, not even about the money, you know, but just not being ready to make signings when they needed to make signings. But of course, you never know. Like I say, the amount that we don't know about football is 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 infinite, almost. And um, I don't know, maybe Klopp was there. But we don't know, maybe Klopp was there behind the scenes saying, I don't need to do this. You know, maybe he had that faith in the team who had overachieved. Maybe he thought the squad could do it. And we joke, we joke 
or I've joked, you know, about Mbappe 2021, just because I know that that's the thing that fans have been talking about. And I, I don't know, you know, maybe that was it. Maybe he was like, no, we don't need to sign anyone because we're going to make one signing next year. I know, you know, from, from what you read, it sounds like he thought he had a chance of signing him. And maybe that was it. Maybe he sort of thought, all right, we're not going to spend any money. We're just going to, you know, we're just going to keep our powder dry and make that one big signing. So maybe, maybe it was that and it all just collapsed around him. But it's very depressing when that happens because because like I say it was Klopp at the start of the season saying this is the weirdest season ever so so disappointing you know it's fine to let Lovren go but yeah you you're then putting a lot of faith on a on a Matip who who hasn't played all that much and then of course you know once Van Dijk goes then then suddenly it looks like a disaster but you know to come back to the question you know will they have will they be forced into a decision I'm sure Klopp Klopp will be the first to know if it's time to go, just like he was at Dortmund. So in that final season at Dortmund, when it was all going wrong and they were relegation candidates for a while, he made it clear he was going to go and then fought his, fought, you know, you know, fought his way back with the team to a position of relative sort of respectability, at least. I think Klopp will know if it is time. I don't think he'll go into the German job. I think if, if he were to leave Liverpool, I think he would, again, take some time off. Because remember, he interrupted his sabbatical uh, to come to Liverpool at a time when he wasn't expecting to come back. And I think he would gratefully accept, you know, if that were to be the case, I think he would gratefully accept like having the, you know, the final few months of that holiday that he was expecting to have. But, um, but yeah, it does raise the question. And I know Liverpool fans are already talking about, you know, should the worst happen, who might be someone to replace him? And uh, you know, I can't help but notice that Rangers just won the league with a certain former former Liverpool player. I don't know what you think about that, Finna. Do I think that he could be a success at Liverpool? Absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt. I think a lot of the English press will make a lot about the relative ease of being the Rangers manager to win a title in a two-horse race. That's absolute rubbish. That was the the most pressurised environment that Steven Gerrard could, could have put himself in. And a lot has been made about Celtic's quote-unquote collapse. Rangers are unbeaten after 32 games. They've conceded nine goals all season. It it wouldn't matter if that's the form that any team has. They're winning the league. It doesn't matter who's chasing them. And that has to come from Gerard's vision and Gerard's tactics and his ability to get the best out of that club or that team, that squad of players. I do think that he will be Liverpool manager at some point. And you just wonder whether or not the Lampard situation has maybe put it into both the Liverpool leadership's minds and his mind that he can sit there for 15 years, 20 years, and wait for that job to come knocking. Because at some point there is, if you believe the chatter, there is a relative mutual interest from both the leadership and Gerard to to make that happen. I'd, I'd rather he didn't go tomorrow <laughs> put it that way yeah exactly yeah now i can see that i mean i don't think it's the right time for him to go regardless of what happens with Klopp. i mean i hope Klopp stays of course you know Klopp's mm-hmm. amazing um no question at all almost every Liverpool fan wants him to stay um if that were to happen now i just don't think the timing would be right i would prefer gerard to stay show what he can do building on the success of this year and then um i did see, I was looking completely at random. I was reading, you know, I used to, I used to be based in Spain. I was re- I, I was looking at Marca, and uh, there was something about 
uh, Xabi Alonso is in charge of Real Sociedad B, and they were talking about like two of the amazing goals that the B team at Real Sociedad had just got. And it did just make me think, oh, do you know what? God, you wouldn't be surprised if Xabi Alonso turned out to be an amazing manager, would you? You know, I just he just seems to fit that profile. He always seems so intelligent. He's had that experience at Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, uh, Liverpool, of course, having been successful. And he just fights a bet on someone. But it's terrible because he's just picking someone on the basis of their profile. But I do just wonder, one day, if I had to pick a completely left-field sort of option, I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up having a really good coaching career. And who knows, maybe that might take him the full twelve. Right, well, that is the, the this week's slate of games. Um, Kev, despite the fact that there's only the two of us, do you still have a, a poem for us? I do, I do. So, um, you know, it's always nice that you guys give me a very polite round of applause at the end, so it's all on you, but I might, I might, I might join you just to make it sound like a bit... Uh... <laughs> It sounds like a bit more impressive. But anyway, um, yeah, I do. Short and sweet this week. And uh, the start nicked off Jamie Carragher, one of the world's greatest Liverpool poets. Mentality monsters to mentality midgets. Errors per game creeping into three digits. Fulham, the latest to add to the mystery of the worst title defence in Premier League history. Mathematically true, I've not looked up the stats, but just for the style of their recent collapse, I think it's fair comment when Jurgen Klopp's side are the weirdest transformers since Jackal turned Hyde. Fulham were on it. Could not have been keener. An edge won a lot through a goal from Josh Mina. Liverpool failing in frankly perverse ways. Next season won't even be playing on Thursdays. Nor will United, who looked top four bankers. On Sunday, they turned around Pep super tankers. Did you think I would rhyme something else there with bankers? Come on. Not all poets are juvenile wankers. Right from the off, it just went wrong for City. Bruno from 12 yards does not show much pity. With Hendo in goal, the defence without floor, they wrapped it all up with a great run from Shaw. City, of course, are untroubled up top. At some point, their run just had to come to a stop. 11 points clear with just 10 left to play. Defeat doesn't give them much cause for dismay. I reckon the rest of the top four is likely to end up the way that it is now, precisely. Leicester in third after edging past Brighton. Tuchel shows Chelsea now truly can frighten. On Monday, their form won some ravey reviews. Slick in attack versus their fellow Blues. Everton cursing as Havertz flicks goalward, if not quite on fire. Well, they certainly smouldered. 2-0, Jorginho no fuss from the spot. Vernon a score, but alas, he does not. Chelsea, I think, have a good shout for third. If anyone, maybe Leicester will be scared. As lurking in fifth, the mighty West Ham, who float like Vin Diesel and sting like Van Damme. Leeds were unlucky but took no precaution and succumbed to fine goals from Lingard and Dawson. Will they just come up short? I think they just might. But Jesus, this season is going to end tight. As tight as your board when you need a new signing. As tight as the meter and rhyme I'm combining. But bring on the drama as much as you like. Just somehow, please, God, can we bring back Van Dyke? Well done, Kev. Well done. Very nicely put. Yeah, I've I actually no, no idea who Vin Diesel is. But, uh, <laughs> but there you go. I thought he, thought, he, thought he suited West Ham. That's all from us. We'll be back next week. Hopefully with the, the rest of the guys back too. If you're listening on YouTube, give us a subscribe down down the bottom right-hand side. If you're listening on Spotify and Apple, a review goes a long way. Um, we'll see you next week and enjoy the games. 